Bedford, Indiana is known for one thing, limestone. I mean, if you're like me, you can spot a Bedford stone home. As, as soon as you see it, you recognize it. I love the town of Bedford. It is a, is a beautiful town to explore. The stone workers in that community took great care to, to make their community beautiful. When you go downtown, there are these beautifully carved and built stone buildings. Even the homes in Bedford are decorated in amazing ways. And when you go to the cemetery, it's, it's something special because you see the great care that the stone workers took in building the monuments for their friends and building the monuments for themselves. Bedford is also a, a beautiful area to hike around. There are some wonderful trails and you'll be out on the trail in the middle of nowhere and suddenly you come across an old quarry, a, a big deep hole in the ground lined with stone. One time a few years ago I, I took my family on a quick tour of Bedford and we ended up out in the country uh, at the quarry where the Empire State Building had been cut. It is massive and it is absolutely beautiful. But you know, with, with all of that stone being cut, some stone ends up being rejected. And so as you're hiking around Bedford, it's not uncommon to be walking through the woods and suddenly come across a pile of useless stones. And, and these are huge. They're four feet by eight feet, and they're just stacked on top of each other like building blocks stacked out in the middle of nowhere. Several years ago, I went hiking around Bedford with my sister-in-law, and it was a beautiful spring day. We had been hiking all day. It was late in the afternoon, and as we're hiking along, suddenly we came across this huge pile of Bedford stone, and I said, let's get to the top, and we started climbing, and I was heading all the way up, and, and we were about halfway there, and my sister-in-law says to me that she's getting tired, and she's a little afraid of heights, and she thought, maybe I should go back around or, or just go back down. I said, no, we're, we're going to the top, and she said, no, I, I don't really feel like I'm up to it. So I said, well, hand me your backpack. And she did. She handed me her backpack and I took it and I tossed it up to the very top of the pile. And I said, now you're going. That was a, it was a wonderful day. It was also the, the last time she ever went hiking with me for, for some reason. I thought about that this week as I was looking at the passage we're going to examine today. There are three stories here in this short little passage, three stories about three people who wanted to follow Jesus, but were they up for it? Were they up to the challenge of following him? Were they up for the struggles that were ahead of them? Or were they going to look for a way around or even find a way to head back home? Jesus obviously couldn't just throw their backpacks up into the air and, and get them there. Uh, Jesus couldn't do that and say, now you're going, but rather instead his words challenge them and his words challenge us. Are we, are we up for following Jesus? We begin in Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse 57. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And he said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you. I will follow you, Lord. But 
Let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. I need to back up just a few verses here because if we're following Jesus, the question has to be, where? Where are we following you to, Jesus? And if you back up just a few verses to verse 57, it's there that we read, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That's a pivotal verse in the Gospel of Luke. The rest of the Gospel is a march to Jerusalem, a march to the cross. We are following Jesus to his death. So when you hear Jesus say the words, follow me, you realize this is not a hike. This is not some afternoon spent climbing rocks. This is a lifetime call, and it may be a short lifetime. When Jesus calls us to follow, nothing less than total commitment will do. But we have to admit there are so many things that can get in the way of that get in our way, that can slow us down or, or even turn us around. And so through these three encounters, Jesus calls us to follow him. He calls us to follow him despite our inconvenience. In verse 57, they're already on the road. They're already headed to Jerusalem. They're headed to the cross. And it sounds, as we begin that verse, it sounds like someone sees him on the side, from the side of the road and, and cries out to him in verse 57 and says, I will follow you wherever you go. Really? Do you even know where we're going? Do you know what you're signing up for? Do you have any idea what following Jesus means? Jesus responds in verse 58, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This is not going to be a life of convenience. This is not going to be a life of comfort. It's going to be a difficult road ahead, marked by who you're following and where he's going, and also marked by what you're leaving behind. It's not a path that allows us to bring along our excuses or our, uh, or our conveniences. Think about that. Uh, think, about the biggest, think about the biggest convenience we have right now. And here in the middle of summer, it's easy to think of our air conditioning. I mean, that's a great convenience. It's wonderful to think of a refrigerator full of food. That's absolutely wonderful. Maybe it's a big screen TV. But let's go much simpler than that. Let's talk about a place to rest, a place to put your head down, a place to put your feet up. That's where Jesus goes with this man. And so the, the challenge for us becomes, if I'm going to follow Jesus, am I willing to allow myself to be uncomfortable? Am I willing to allow myself to be inconvenienced? When was the last time your faith inconvenienced you? When was the last time my faith inconvenienced me how often does that really happen? When was the last time you really felt like you were following a homeless man? I think every now and then. Every now and then, your faith ought to inconvenience you just a little bit. It ought to make you a little uncomfortable 
to follow Jesus. It ought to remind you of what you have to go without. Maybe you, maybe you give a little bit more. Maybe you serve a little bit more. Maybe, maybe you go a little hungry every now and then. Every now and then you need to show the world who's boss. Every now and then you need to show the world who you belong to and that you're not going to follow it. You're not going to have everything that the world thinks you need to have. Instead, you're going to have Jesus. When Jesus calls us to follow, he calls us to follow him despite the inconvenience. He also calls us to follow him despite our priorities. The second encounter along the way is the one that we give a lot of attention to. Verses 59 and 60, to another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus comes off sounding very harsh here. It's unfeeling and and it's a little confusing for us. I mean, it's, it's bad enough that he won't let this guy back, go back home to his father's funeral. But let the dead bury their own dead? What, what does that even mean? Well, culturally, you and I need a little help understanding this. Culturally, you and I need to understand that this man's father is not dead. And in fact, there's a good chance he's not even sick yet. In that culture, it was the responsibility of the oldest child, the oldest son, to stay home and care for his parents in their old age. And as the time would come, it would be that child's responsibility to ensure that his parents were buried. And then in that culture and and also in that climate, burial was not an easy thing. You would bury the body and you would spend the year putting out spices and herbs, trying to keep the smell down. And a year later, you would open the tomb. You took the bones out and you arranged them and you put them in a smaller box called an ossuary and you stored those bones someplace else. That was their practice. So hear it very carefully. He's he's not asking Jesus for the afternoon off to go to a family funeral. He's got different priorities than Jesus. Can, Can we just admit our lives have priorities. Can we confess that sometimes following Jesus is not one of those priorities? You know, a few months ago, people were upset, and I heard it over and over again. People were upset because what they heard our government say as we began this lockdown for COVID-19, what they heard our government say was that church was not essential. And people were angry. People were upset. Of course church is essential, but as I listened to all of that, I had to ask, then why haven't we been treating it like it's essential? I mean, when the average church attender in the United States, the average church attender attends church one out of four weeks and refers to that as faithful church church attendance, refers to themselves as regular church attenders, does that sound essential? Replace the words, let me go back and bury my father with, replace those words with, well, let me go to my kid's soccer game this Sunday. It's pretty. Let me, let me go take the family to the lake this Sunday. Such a nice day. Let me, let me sleep in. Now, please don't get me wrong. 
family needs to be a priority for us. Time with family is, is very important. It is essential. But what's the message we're sending to our world, to our children, to our younger generation? What's the message we're sending when anything and everything becomes a priority before church? What are we telling our kids about what's really important to us and should be important to them? What are we telling our grandkids? What are we telling our neighbors who know that we're Christians? Who does it look like we're following? We put a lot of attention on the funeral issue in this passage. Let the dead bury their own dead, but look at Jesus's emphasis. It's there in verse 60. He says, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is doing. You know, if you go all the way back to the very beginning of chapter 9, when Jesus sends the 12 out, it says in verse 2, he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. That is Jesus's priority. That is to be our priority, to proclaim the kingdom his kingdom. And so we have a choice. Will our lives, will the choices that we make, will the priorities that we have proclaim Jesus's kingdom? Or will they proclaim our own kingdom? Will it be heaven that we proclaim or will it be ourselves and our own world that we proclaim? When Jesus calls us to follow, we have, we have choices to make. Do we follow him to, despite our inconvenience? Do we follow him despite our priorities? And do we follow him despite our distractions? Look at verses 61 and 62 again. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You farmers out there, you have a unique perspective on this, don't you? And really, we, we all do. I mean, we've all been driving along and seen that field on the side of the road. And one of my favorite things to do is look over and watch those perfectly parallel rows as they go zooming by. It seems like they're running alongside the, ro running alongside the car with us. And, and you watch them, and they're perfect, they're perfect, and then all of a sudden, whoops! And, and I look, and I think, well, what happened? Did, did the farmer get distracted? Did he, did he fall asleep? Did he get turned around? Whatever it was, there's the evidence. A big old scar in the middle of the field where things just don't line up the way that they should. That happens when we lose focus. That happens when we look back. And again, Jesus comes across harsh here doesn't he? He says, uh, the man just simply wants to go back home and say goodbye. What's so wrong with that? But keep in mind, Luke is giving us extreme examples because we need an extreme reminder. The, the extreme reminder is that this world is not our home. This world is not where we find our hope. And to try to live with one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the comforts of this world is not going to get us where we need to be. That's not following Jesus. There are a lot of distractions in our world. There's a lot of things that capture our attention, that turn our eyes away from the one that we should be following. And even worse, for some of us, when we look back, when we look back into our past, look back at the things we used to do, some of those distractions were really fun. 
Some of those distractions are some of our best stories, but none of them get us where we need to go. None of them are following Jesus. I love how I love how Hebrews puts it. The author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, let us run, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And consider him who endured such opposition so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I think about when I tossed my sister's backpack up on the rock. She was was a good spirit about that. She had a good spirit about that. And we had a good laugh about that. I think about when I tossed her backpack up on the top of the rocks. There's one thing I didn't think about. What's in her backpack? What was she carrying that day? She was probably carrying water. I mean, that's, that's very important. That is essential right there, that you carry water with you. It's very smart. She may have had some food with her. She may have had some energy bars. She may have had her ID in, in that backpack. She may have had her wallet in that backpack. You know, at the time, I, I didn't care. But the reality is it, it may have contained her treasure. And leaving her treasure behind would not have gotten her to the next spot because where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also, right? And so follow your treasure. What will it take? What will it take for Jesus to be our treasure? What will it take for us to stop treasuring comfort and accept the inconvenience of following him? What will it take to to know that following him will bring us, in reality, far more comfort than the comfort we would seek on our own? What will it take for us to to stop treasuring our priorities and instead seek his priority, realizing that, that following him will reward us far more than following our own priorities? What will it take for us to stop following our distractions and instead follow him, knowing that where he takes us will be far greater than anywhere we could go on our own. And I say all that knowing that there's going to be times when we fail. There's going to be times when we get off course. I think that's one of the reasons why every week we come back to the table, wherever your table might be. And again and again, we come back to the table. And it's a reminder, it's a reminder for us that ultimately it's not about us getting it all right. It's about what he's done for me and what he's done for you. It's about what he gave up for you and what I now give up for him. It's because I am Jesus's priority, as are you. And his attention is fixed on us. He calls us to him. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, we thank you. We know that if we were to take a look at the path that we have followed with your son, it's not a straight line to the cross. It deviates and it wanders and it turns. And sadly, Lord, there's been more than one time when when we've turned around completely. 
And yet week after week and day after day, your attention is fixed on us and you, you call us back. And we thank you for that. We come today to the cup and the loaf and we're reminded of the body broken, the blood shed. We're reminded that when Jesus saw the cross ahead of him, he also saw what was beyond the cross. Uh, the, not just the, the glory of sitting down at the right hand of God, but the joy that was before him, that he would draw us to him, that he would call us to follow and ultimately lead us into eternity with him. Remind us of that today, Lord, as we take, and remind us of that tomorrow as we follow. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.